Thank you for listening to Room 9, my daddy's podcast. Hope you enjoy. If you would like to help Room 9, please visit their support page. You can listen to Room 9 on your favorite podcast listening platform. Don't forget to visit our Instagram and Facebook page. Please like it. Room 9, if you better yourself, you better the world. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 60 of Room 9. In this episode, I sit down with author, speaker, family therapist, a YouTuber, the list goes on and on of things she does, and she goes by the name of Jody Amen. She has a new book coming out called Anxiety, I Am So Done With You, and it is aimed somewhat towards teenagers, but also has things in there for parents and everything else. And I had an amazing conversation with her. This woman is one of the few people I've been around recently that makes me feel like I am not doing enough work because she has everything going on from her YouTube channel to her books to everything she is doing, Facebook Live stuff. She has got it going on and continuously is working at helping people deal with their mental health struggles. I will leave her website and all her information and links below, but you can get in touch with her. You can do her Facebook Live every Monday at 11 a.m. I will leave her Facebook page as well in the link. Also, be sure to get on over to room9podcast.com. Check out our YouTube channel. Check out the Facebook page, Instagram page. We are also on LinkedIn for those of you who are on LinkedIn as well. Other than that, I hope you guys are surviving the craziness of the world right now, including the United States and all the other fun stuff that is going on. So stay encouraged, stay strong, stay positive. Always reach out if you need something, whether it's me or somebody you know, a family member, friend. Make sure you are communicating and talking about your life to people because that is important. All right. I will be seeing you guys and talking to you guys next week. Enjoy it. Enjoy this. Pass it along to people. It is a great episode, good information, and I'll talk to you soon. Peace. It's crazy, yeah. So I'm, uh, I appreciate it. Appreciate what you're doing, and I realize all the hard work you're putting in, and it's amazing. Thank you, thank you. I think you're my first TED Talk guest. Really, TEDx? Yep, yep. I, th- I think so. I don't think I've had any. Oh, you know, I talked with uh, Sally Sattel on some mental health stuff. Who's kind of a, I think she's done a TED Talk, but yeah, that's it. I think you're you're one of my Yay. most popular guests. So thank you Yay. for taking the time to come in and talk with me. I'm. I'm excited. It's great. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm, and yeah, I don't feel like that. I don't. I feel like I, you know, just as tiny as everyone else. I know it's funny. Well, I was just um, the quote came to mind. Something I can't remember even who said it, but um, the one where you know we compare our backstage to everybody's highlight reel or something like that. So we're always <laughs> walking around. I love that metaphor. Yeah, I'm yeah. gonna use that. Yeah, I can't, so I can't remember who said it, but yeah, it was something along those lines. And it's it's very true. We will always go around and we know all our crap and all the stuff we carry with us and see everybody else. And it's like, oh, I wish I could be 
in their yeah. life or in their it's like, shoes. Oh, I'm so behind everybody. <laughs> I just feel so behind everybody. And then people are like, why do you do so much? And I'm like, oh yeah, I guess from, <laughs> it depends on what, pers- what perspective you're looking at it. Very true. I've tried to, there's this clinical psychologist. I like a lot of his work. In one of his books, a chapter is compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to somebody else's today. Mm-hmm. And when I really kind of got into that habit of developing to do that, it also reminded me of how far I've come each day as well. And that's something important, I think, I had to really yeah. implement in my life because it's so easy to get caught up in the, I need to be here, I need to be here, I need to be doing this. And that gets so overwhelming. So I, I always get like that in the middle of an interview <laughs> and I'm like, oh no, I got it. Well, it's, I'll edit all that out anyway. <laughs> that's that's what I, I love doing, taking the coughs. And the the breaths out and the ums and all that other stuff. Oh, that takes a long time. I only do that for my YouTube videos. Yeah, yeah, it's I yeah I do it for everything. It took me forever to get to do podcasts like this because I hate the the audio quality is nothing compared to sitting down in a room with somebody. But then I'm missing out. Like I mean, I've gone to Rochester for a bunch of podcasts. That's not too far of a drive. You know, you, you miss out on a lot of great guests and a lot of good content if. I stick in that mindset of I have to be in the room with you, but yeah, it all works. Room out. nine, room nine. Yeah, that was. I think I told you. Yeah, that was my uh, room number at rehab. And we kind That's of a great name for your podcast. I love it. Yeah, yeah, I definitely and getting into video production now, and so things are slowly moving forward. I feel confident. It took me, well, you know, kind of doing your own business and your own thing. It's like, it's the tiny things you never thought of, the administrative side of things that has been driving me nuts lately. Like, how do I get a system for all of this? Yeah. That's that's what I've been Without a system, it's just more work. And then then to know, like, you need the system to know what is the, what moves the needle. Mm -hmm. So you just focus on that. Instead, you could be doing all this other stuff that doesn't make any difference and because you haven't really organized mm-hmm. enough to know what makes a difference. Yep. I call it undisciplined discipline. You could work yeah. for 14 hours a day and feel like you've accomplished nothing. <laughs> right. You could be very, I'm very productive, but not disciplined. Yep. I'm like, but, but I'm ethical. People don't know when I say that word, you know, they're like, what? It doesn't mean I'm not ethical. I'm very ethical, <laughs> but I'm not disciplined. Like I, I don't sit and meditate the same time every day. I'd love to have that discipline. I don't, but you know, I do it at different times a day, but I love to bring it to the same, you know, do it as soon as I wake up. And yeah. Implementing that. Yeah. The time stuff is, is very nice. Right. I was, I was doing, I was doing great with that until this whole social distancing thing. Now it's like, it doesn't matter if I stay up till 3 a.m. editing videos. <laughs> Like, what's the difference at this point? But It does matter to your mental health, though. It, it does, yes. I, I have, um, I've kind of noticed that shift in a lot of things as far as um, my routine goes. I think us human beings love routine. That is yeah. for sure. Yeah. So I guess getting into mental health and stuff, I see you kind of specialize more in the, the teen area from what I could gather, but you've been a family therapist. Like, give me a little rundown of... Yeah, sure. No, I've been a family therapist for 25 years. So I work with all ages, actually. And, you know, my first book, my first big book, You Want Anxiety Zero, is for all ages. And then Skyhorse Publishing came to me and asked me to do this book for teenagers. And I I love working with teenagers. One of my favorite populations, because there's just so much potential, but they care so much. I just 
They're just really uh, amazing. So I said yes immediately. And I think it's so important because they're, they're really struggling. You know, they're just really, really struggling trying to get control over their lives. And, you know, as you can, you know, you know, some of them turn to substances or bullying or sex or all those things that, you know, could lead to, to damaging their self-esteem even more. Yeah, I find, you know, I was talking because my girlfriend has, she has a 16-year-old and a son that just went into college. And at her high school, they just had a a kid committed suicide. And it's just, you know, it was probably right before this whole, the school ended kind of thing. And it got me thinking a lot about how, like, things have changed from when I was younger, when you were younger, when we were all kind of younger, it was, it didn't seem like, I don't know if it's just because it's one of those mindsets of, oh, it's the other generation kind of thing, but it didn't seem like there was so much anxiety and stress going on in the world with teenagers. definitely risen. And, you know, and I I think there's really strong reasons for that, but it's definitely gone up in, in huge ways. So, I don't know. I, I, I'm really, you know, we're worried about this generation. There's some reasons why we shouldn't be worried because humans are highly adaptable and they are going to be adaptable when push comes to shove, they're going to, they're going to do it. But, you know, worrying about them, I think that that makes them think that they can't. And that's part of our problem is that these young people think that they can't. They don't know themselves as adaptable because they really haven't practiced that much. That is my, my TEDx Wilming to talk was about calming anxious kids with simple chores. You know, we've gotten away from chores, so we don't even know our skills or what we can do. We're such a deficit mentality. So all we think about is all of our inadequacies. And, and so we really have to show up and show these kids that they have these abilities. And I think that's what my book's doing that's what it's going to do do you want to like touch on some points how do you like you know other than you get kids to do chores i've heard you talk about the importance of all that and it's funny how something so simple can make such a big difference and that really kind of had me thinking in that like yeah i think a lot of kids don't have any kind of responsibilities everything's kind of handed to them like here you go here's this and they develop that mindset of expecting it but what ways do you like encourage you know parents and that to kind of implement these things into their teens well yeah definitely you know i speak about chores in uh, my tedx wilmington talk and i i do mention it in my book but that's not like the major message that i have really it's 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 understanding what's happening in our culture that's causing such problems mm-hmm. then once you realize why it's caused like this and and you know i talk about how we're, we're not learning cause and effect like teens are not learning that they if they have to do something to get the results right we're just we just see the results And we think that results come at random and we all just deserve results and we should just get results. We have the instant gratification. And so there's no knowledge or understanding of the concept of having to work towards something. That's why there's, we're we're losing our connection with work ethic. I think it's from commercialism. I think that's the biggest problem is, is commercialism because there's just constant commercials all the time saying you get stuff just because. And this really messes up our sense of worth, actually. And, you know, I mean, obviously, that's not why companies are doing it to mess up our sense of worth. They're just trying to sell their products. But this is a, a consequence of that. Uh, so we're both, we both have a sense of entitlement and an inadequacy and such a paradox. Mm-hmm. How can we have this entitlement, which suggests that we have this high worth or idea of worth, yet we have really low feelings of worth, actually. We feel really inadequate in most areas of our life. You know, young people, especially, I say we because it's, you know, 
we're all affected by this. Absolutely. And young people, young people and teenagers even greater. Like Generation Z is like really seeing this in big ways. Yeah, that's so. It's so interesting how the human mind can hold such a dichotomy, and <laughs> and believe both of them a hundred percent fully. And it's super, it's super bizarre. Yeah. And teens don't want you to tell them they're entitled. That That's such a criticism <laughs> of them. And it's not their fault even, you know, it's, it's really coming from our culture. And I don't want to blame parents either, because I think that's a, that is a terrible thing to do. I think parents blame themselves so much for every single bit of everything, much more than they deserve. And so when I see articles talking about lawn mowing parents and helicopter parents, not that I don't believe that that happens, it does, but I don't know if it's helpful because the parents who are reading that or the parents who are judging themselves more and trying to be the best they could be. Let's talk about it a different way that makes parents stop judging themselves, give them some confidence, you know, help them understand that it's from the culture. It's not all their fault, but then help them understand what to do about it. And I do that I, in the back of my book, the book is for teens, you know, anxiety. I am so done with you. I love that title. It's just so perfect for teenagers. It was such a process to find this title for this book because I, I really wanted to appeal. I wanted mm-hmm. to be clever. I didn't want it to be boring, you know, anxiety workbook for teens snore. I was like, no, the subtitle is a teen's guide to ditching toxic stress and hardwiring your brain for happiness. And that's exactly what the book does. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. But in the back of the book, I have a resources for parents. And actually, I think parents should read the whole book because it really gives them insight. Because what happens with anxiety and all mental health, actually, I mean, depression, anxiety, it comes from our culture, it comes from a context, but we don't understand it. There's so many discourses out there of these things, and it's so hard to understand. So kids feel not understood, and it separates families, but they need to come together because no one solves these problems alone. No, no, absolutely not. And honestly, it really makes me think a lot, even in addiction, how we kind of put all that weight and pressure on the one person who is probably most unlikely to not succeed is the person who's struggling with the addiction, but it really needs to be a whole family thing. You need to involve everybody just as much as the person who is struggling with uh, addiction or anxiety, whatever it is. And yeah. I think I think that's really a solution or at least a step forward in almost all of our problems in life is we try exactly. to just take it on as an individual. But, but sometimes problems tend to tend to separate people. So there's resentment built up. You know, if someone has anxiety for a really long time, they you really you really tailor the family's freedom. So same with substance use, you know, if, if someone's struggling with substance use for a long time, then the family, you know, has been hurt over a long yep. period. Of, it's very, it's very complex, isn't it? And so in, you know, with anxiety and substance abuse or anytime someone in your family has a problem, you really feel helpless. Someone you love has a problem. There's such a helpless feeling, you know, you feel so helpless. Mm-hmm. And then that person's like, you don't understand. You don't understand. And you start to believe that you don't understand, but this is a thing about anxiety, depression, we do understand. We've all felt those feelings, right? We've all felt anxious sometimes. We've all felt sad sometimes. So we do understand that feeling. But the more our loved one says, you don't understand, you don't understand, sometimes we start to believe Mm. that they must feel different than I felt before. And it separates us. And I like to bring people together because I think 
people do know what it feels like, but you think that you don't. There's so much mystery to these things. You know, people use these words or actually with anxiety in general, people use a ton of different words Mm -hmm. to describe their anxiety. And they think these are all different things when they're all the same things. Yeah. Language is a, is a funny thing. It's so powerful and yet so kind of elusive and ambiguous a lot. And it's just, it's very bizarre. I remember hearing somebody talk about the world is made of language. And that always made me think of how like literally everything is we given a name, we've given it a word, but yet that can get so confusing when it becomes abstract anyway, when it becomes an in-depth conversation, it can be very, very, you know, difficult to communicate. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Our words, we understand our words from our past experience. So they may mean something different to us than someone else, but words like some people feel resistance. Some people feel stress. Some people feel embarrassment or doubt. All of these are anxiety. You know, you could describe them all. You know, anytime you're upset at all, it's adrenaline. So we say frustrated, mad, angry, and we could sense those different things, but in our body, it's all adrenaline. And so I think that's an interesting point that we have to understand is, yes, there's different layers. There's like a little bit of adrenaline and a lot of adrenaline, and those feel quite different, but it's still all the same hormone. Hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. That our, Yeah, our body biologically doesn't know the difference <laughs> between no, it's what it's just producing it. Yeah. Right. And so I used to say like anxiety needs you to be scared, but now I changed that. I say anxiety needs you to be bothered, hmm. you know, to perpetuate the adrenaline right? The amygdala triggers adrenaline because we think we're upset, you know, and then, and then when it bothers us and we're like, I don't like this, it feels terrible. Then it perpetuates it because it continues to any time that bothers us, that we get frustrated, we get angry at the anxiety, it's going to perpetuate it. So it's going to keep that adrenaline going, needs you to be bothered by it. In the book, I go into like the the biology of fear so we could really demystify it. I think it's really, I think it's really helpful. It comes out July 21st. Uh, I'm, I, I just want it out now. I think people <laughs> need it so bad with this, with this quarantine, people are really struggling with, you know, so much uncertainty and unknown and so much loss. Like they have nothing to look forward to. That really helps us get through times, mm-hmm. right? To have something to look forward to or something. To, and without that, people are kind of feeling untethered right now. Absolutely. Are what else? In, as far as the book goes, are you? Is it still be just finishing up being published, getting it out there? Is it going to be online? Yeah, well, it's um, well, it's already for out for pre-orders. So it's already okay. on Amazon at least, so you could pre-order uh, the paperback or the Kindle. Um, okay. The audiobook rights have not been sold yet. I'm really looking for if anyone knows anybody. <laughs> I'm really looking for an audio producer to to uh, pick up the rights of the book, but because I think that's a great way. Because people love to listen to that too. My other books on audio and people love my audio books. So I really want to get this on. But so it's all ready. The book's ready. And so it should hit the, it should hit the retail stores are going to be able to order it. So they're printing big bulks for the retail stores in June. And I place my own order in. So I'll have it in my hands, I think in the next couple of weeks. But officially it is, um, it is going to be deliverable on July 21st. So I, I think that's a, it's a great date. Can't wait till that comes out. Yeah, that's super exciting. That's but awesome. But you could order it now and it'll just show up. And when it it's shows out. up. That's great. Yeah. What a, another question I was kind of debating and kind of really thinking about, and I think you kind of brought it up in your TED Talks about like what role do you think social media is really playing in all of this? Because I always think about 
again, kind of going back to when I was in high school and all that, you know, you had something go on, a little fuss with somebody. It ended when you left school and stuff like that. And now I feel like it just kind of continues after you leave the building and going back to that whole everybody's life looks wonderful and perfect online. <laughs> uh, well, I do outline three different ways. In my TEDx Wilmington talk, I do outline three ways that I see that social media is affecting us. And that doesn't include like the electromagnetic radiation, which I don't know, I don't know to what extent, but people, there is research saying that the longer teens are on their phone, the the more like the higher their chances uh, of suicide or suicidality. And that's really concerning. So if teens are spending wow. five to nine hours a day on their phone, which they are, and probably even more in quarantine, you know, that, that suicidality goes up. That is a highly concerning. So is that just the radiation or is that this other things? So there's three, there's messages that we're getting constantly from having this device in our hands that many hours a day. And these messages make us feel out of control and uh, worthless and feeling powerless. And there's three categories of them that I outline. One is this comparison culture. You know, in social media, just like you're saying, we see everybody's highlight reel and we compare it to our backstage mess. <laughs> and so we see people who put their highlight reel online and we compare ourselves to that. And there, it, again, it's like, there's no cause and effect. It's like, it's like randomly perfect, randomly happy, randomly lucky. And so there's no cause and effect. And we compare our messy life to those highlight reels. And that's, um, that makes us feel out of control and worthless. And the second message is this, you know, this constant trauma that we're seeing, like violence that's happening all over the place with the device in our hand, we have access to it. I think a lot of teens block it out. There's so much division right now in our news. And I think teens just, they want to block that out and they do, most of them do. And so maybe they're not seeing it, but when there's school shootings and that kind of stuff, they have access to seeing that trauma, but they're far away before screens before TV and screens, when something happened, it was really far away. We could imagine it, but we didn't see it. And we, if something happened that triggered our anxiety, we were there to do something about it, to use that adrenaline, to take some kind of action. Now we're like helpless from our couch. And that helplessness perpetuates that anxiety. And the third is what we talked about before, the commercialism. I mean, there's commercials on every inch of that screen on every platform you go on, there's commercials, people trying to sell stuff. And the message is always, you should just get stuff like that instant gratification. Again, you know, even I didn't mention this with the violence because the violence seems so random and out of control. Like, again, you don't see the cause and effect, like mm -hmm. what builds up before to make that happen. And because it seems so random, that makes it feel more out of control. And then this the commercialism, we, we just don't, you know, that just feels like we forget that you have to build up to get something, work towards it, all that kind of thing. And so again, we're not learning cause and effect. And I, I think that's the biggest, that's the biggest threat I see through it all. Yeah, that's, I mean, oh, that's a lot to, to go on right there. But there is, I think, you know, I think information is like doubling every like two seconds now or some random, don't take that for word for word there. But it's doubling very quickly. So there's all that instant gratification. Yeah. We're taught to be passive recipients of life, right? We're just, we're just consuming yep. the content, consuming the content. You know, the kids do better if they're actually making videos, if they're actually making content. 
for online, at least they're using their creativity, they're mm-hmm. using their prefrontal cortex, they're problem solving, they're figuring things out. And those kids are doing a lot better than the ones that are just watching. And I don't mean kids, I mean, all ages, really adults, we're, we're all in this together. Um, you know, my phone's in my hand most of my day too. Well, now I'm doing teletherapy. So that's a big part <laughs> of it. Yeah, that's it's so it's so interesting how all the those I mean those three things you mentioned how they really affect and I guess I keep wanting to say kids and teens too but you're right it's all people. Yeah. Everybody yeah. is really affected by it and you know I'm hoping you know this time of social distancing and all that kind of brings a sense more of a community out again. I'm not sure how much I'm seeing that it might be wishful thinking. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I, you know, I've been teaching intuition. I've been using my intuition for a really long time in my therapy practice. And so I started teaching it because, you know, we're really sensitive. You know, mm-hmm. humans are so sensitive. And when you're really sensitive, you pick up on negative energy and that could, you know, cause anxiety. It could also cause depression and uh, could cause you to feel really overwhelmed about feelings. And so I'm really trying to teach people to take that sensitivity and use it for their sovereign power, right? To empower themselves instead of getting lost in that feeling sensitive and feeling overwhelmed by it. So I'm teaching people. So that's what I'm, that's my response right now. It's like people don't trust themselves. They don't think they're adaptable. They don't think they're able, they take on all the negative. And I want to switch that around because I think those are really good skills that we need in life to stay connected instead of saying, mm-hmm. you know, cause when we're sensitive and we take all that negative energy on then we isolate ourselves ourselves and it's worse. We need to show up and be in the world and make the world the place we want to make it. Absolutely. How do you, when it comes to intuition, how do you like coach somebody through that? Because I always feel like, you know, I'll, I'll have that gut feeling. I'll feel something that is almost that I would say is my intuition, but it's also so hard to find out. Is that my intuition? And as soon as you say that, you start debating and you go down this thought process and you're overthinking everything. And that's my yeah, habit definitely. of every day. How do you yeah. like at least start with somebody when it comes to kind of getting them to get to know their intuition? Well, yeah, first of all, you have to get rid of all those negative self-judgments that bring those doubts in, right? So we, we've kind of let, again, we're in this culture, this culture that notices our deficits all the time. So it has us noticing our deficits all the time, brings all those negative self-judgments and doubts online. And so you have to do some practices. So I teach people how to let those go or how to see them and understand them so they don't take those on anymore, how to have more self-compassion for themselves. And once you have that, it gives you a bit of serenity or calmness. You know, without those negative self-judgments, you feel less anxious, you feel much better, you feel more at peace. And then they don't get in your way. It's like all that, those ego voices, you know, the voices, anxiety, depression, negative self-talk, that inner critic, all of those things are voices that get in the way of your higher wisdom, which we all have. And so if we get those out of the way, that, that, that intuition is already there and is accessible now. But then we can practice and get really stronger at it. I like to think of it as, um, you know, I, I do teach intuition for teens too and adults, but so I don't, I don't use this metaphor with teens because they can't relate, obviously. But when I was pregnant, um, when I was first pregnant, there's this, you know, at about whatever, about three, four months, you feel this little flicker. It's so little, you don't know if it's like gas bubble or something in your stomach. Mm-hmm. And eventually it's stronger and stronger. And you know, it's the baby kicking because the baby's getting bigger and it's clear that's what it is. But at first it's like this flutter and you're not sure if that's hmm. a baby movement or it's like just a, 
like I said, like just some of your stomach gurgling and as you practice or as it becomes stronger and stronger, it's very clear. It's a kick, right? So it's very clear it's a hit. And so when people do these practices and they're easy practices and decisions you make every day, you start to practice your intuition or practice trusting yourself. And then, um, and then it develops so it's stronger. So you get rid of the doubts, but also practice the skills and, um, yeah, it really changes your whole life. You know, you feel empowered instead of disempowered. And that's the problem, right? Is it feels so disempowered. I really believe that's kind of where it starts as well, that we have to take our power back for ourselves. I think we tend to give it away, whether it's from not being able to say no or over-criticizing. I feel like we just kind of give that away. I mean, it's our right to have it. And I think that's amazing to be teaching people that because I think it could really yeah. make a big difference. Yeah. In the book, I use the metaphor of the ruby slippers, you know, from Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. I know it's such an old show, but my, my daughter's a theater kid. And so I, I hope my hope the metaphors that I teach in the book is going to hit most people. But, you know, you have the ruby, you have the ruby slippers um, the whole time. The ruby slippers give you sovereign power to make decisions for yourself. They're like your personal agency, right? Mm-hmm. And if you go to a party and you take off your ruby slippers and like hand them to somebody else, like who would do that? <laughs> you know, decisions over you, like, mm-hmm. you know, you're handing people your personal power to make you feel certain ways or make you think certain things of yourself. And um, we just want to stop them doing that, right? And put their own ruby slippers on and take that back control. I think people don't, that's again, it's like, I think kids don't know what they could do. And that's why they're flailing. You know, that's why they feel really untethered. And if we teach them what they could do, because, you know, all these like thought leaders are like, it's your choice to be happy. Well, teach us, teach people how, you know, (laughs) teach people how that they could use that choice. And without teaching them, people just go to self-judgment. You know, when you say you have the choice to be happy, it's like you could go one or two ways. One, you could be like, yay, I have control over it. That's awesome. Or you could go through the other door. It's like, then that means I can't figure it out. That means it's my fault, Hmm. right? And usually they go through door number two. Yes. Yeah, we always, we always tend to do that. Somebody could tell you a hundred thousand things they did right. But they tell you one thing you did wrong. That's the only thing you think about afterwards. Yeah, it's the only thing you think about. Yeah. Yeah, I really thinking back even... Where, where I had to really change my life. Um, that's exactly where it started with me was I had to learn and develop to accept that, you know, and take back that power of developing a confidence, developing self-love, self-acceptance, forgiveness. I mean, all those things I had to really fine tune before I could even start working on anything else. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, uh, that's awesome where you're, what you're doing. I, I love, you know, your website. I love your videos. You're doing great. I'm Thank you know, you. grateful. Yeah. I, I'm on, so I'm on YouTube. I'm on Facebook. I do a, a live, a co- live coaching every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern. On Facebook? So want hang, yes, on Facebook. So it's oh, awesome. um, facebook.com slash Jody Eamon Love, J-O-D-I-A-M-A-N-L-O-V-E. So uh, yeah, you can come hang out and ask me questions live. I, I help people right in the moment. That is great. That's awesome. Do you do that all kind of in your little studio down there? You think you said it was in your basement? Yeah, this little, I, this is a little tiny room with no closet or anything in here. And so if you saw it, you'd think it was funny because I just have the wall behind me and then all done up. the wall oh, in yeah. front of me, you just don't know. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I love that. That's the funniest thing about videos is it could look like this amazing space. And then if you've seen it, it's like, nothing's painted over here or anything. 
That's that's one of my favorite things about videos. You can make a small area look amazing. Yeah, like it's great space. But yeah, so any other um, ways people get a hold of you? What is the best way? Like Facebook? Oh, so my website. website? I didn't say my website's jodyeman.com. J-O-D-I-A-M-A-N.com. I have tons of um, courses. I have books and I have videos, and I also work with people one-on-one still. So I have lots of ways to help in any way you might need. And also I, I speak at schools, I speak at companies. And so if, if you're in that kind of situation, I could help. I've been speaking to sales teams about how to, because a lot of them are home doing their work, not able to mm-hmm. do what they usually do and connecting with people. Yeah. So I've been doing some of that. So if, if anybody's listening and they need me for anything, uh, give me, you, can, you know how to get in touch with me. Great. That's awesome. And kind of to to finalize and wrap some things up, the whole question that I love to kind of ask people towards the end of um, each episode, if you had this last bit of time, 10 minutes or five minutes, whatever, to talk to the world, to talk to people, to say something, you know, what would it be? I think I really want to give people a message that there's so much better and brighter and more skilled than they think they are. They're so much more loved than they think they are. And they just have incredible potential. And I believe in you. I believe in people. And I think that, um, you know, people are inherently good and they want to do good things. And so fear sometimes gets in the way. So let's get rid of it. Let's get rid of that fear and that negative self-talk so that we could really be those divine beings that we are, you know, in our sovereign power and connected instead of feeling alone and disconnected. So that's, that's what I want to say. That's beautiful. Yeah, I found it's fun when you judge life and judge things around you by your own experiences as opposed to what people say and what you see on TV or whatever it is. I always think about that because, as you said, everything on TV, if it bleeds, it leads. I like to say, you know, it's entertainment. Mm-hmm. If it's negative, they're going to put it on there. I counted the news at one point, all the negative. I think it was like seven to one, seven negative stories to one good one. But if you judge, you know, if I look at my neighbors that live next door to me or across the street or in the neighborhood, I see people helping people all the time. I see the good around that's there. And I do, I mean, I totally agree with you. I believe people are inherently good and they generally want to help people i think people get a little lost sometimes or whatever it is throughout their experiences but i find nothing but generally good people that want to help other people yeah me too well thank you for being on i will send you um an email when i put this out i probably actually might put it out for this monday great yeah i'm just gonna edit it up and get it out there and i will send you links i will make sure i put all your your links i see everything is you got tons of information on your website here so i can get all your (laughs) social accounts and all of that um from you and i will put it out there so all right all right thank you so much again jody thanks sean and keep up the good work i love what you're doing it's motivating and know that it's least kind of motivating me to keep kicking ass excellent do it awesome all right thank you Bye. Bye.